Award-winning coverage lives right here on WMUL-FM Huntington, WFGH-FM Fort Gay, and WTHMLP Ravenswood, West Virginia. I'm dropping the hammer. No, you're not. Welcome to Speed Zone, the best motorsports show on radio. I'm your host, Ben Cower, and across the next hour, we'll recap everything. Yes, everything. In racing that happened in the last week, we'll discuss the latest news and occasionally even have a star-studded interview. So buckle up, rev your motor, and drop the hammer, because this is Speed Zone. And welcome to Speed Zone here on this late February Wednesday night. I'm Ben Cower, your host, and we have a great show for you tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Again, uh, Flag the Flag segment, a lot happened this week as racing continues to return in season. And also, again, lots of big events this week. We've got plenty for you on the What's Up This Week segment of the show. A lot happening in the world of racing as it continues to come back. And a lot of topics to talk about in the racing roundtable tonight as it was a a historic weekend at Atlanta for NASCAR with its finish down to the wire in the Cup Series. We also got news about IndyCar, Formula One, and also back to NASCAR with penalties, charters. We got everything in discussion tonight, but we'll begin tonight and roar forward in tonight's show, beginning with Flag to Flag. Welcome to Flag to Flag, a recap of the week that was in motorsports, as Ben Cower covers everything you might have missed in this past week of racing action. So it was a busy week. We had the V8 Supercars. We had the high limit goal at Golden Isles. We had the NASCAR Cup Series, Xfinity, and Truck Series. That all happened this past week. Let's start out with the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series at uh, Atlanta Motor Speedway. And its winner was Kyle Busch, who set his series record 65th all-time win on Saturday. As again, your top five in the race, Kyle Busch, Ty Majeski, Corey Heim, Taylor Gray, and Nick Sanchez, your Daytona winner. Second straight race on a Super Speedway for the trucks, and Nick Sanchez, two top fives, one win. Of note, again, uh, Kyle Busch in the number seven truck for Spire Motorsports, which, if you don't know, Spire bought Kyle Busch Motorsports in the offseason, so really driving for what was his old team, and uh, his first start of 2024 in the truck series, again, he, uh, he was able to beat... Grant Enfinger for the lead late on in the race and then held off Ty Majeski and Corey Heim over the final five laps. It won his seventh race all-time at Atlanta Motor Speedway and again the 65th of his career in the Truck Series, which is a series record. He's the all-time wins leader in the Truck Series. Now on to the Xfinity Series, also at Atlanta Motor Speedway later in the same night at or uh, that same Saturday at Atlanta. And your winner should be no shock, Austin Hill. That's his second win in two races in the Xfinity Series this year. Again, your top five in the race, Austin Hill, Chandler Smith, the runner-up, Shane Van Gisbergen, an impressive third place, Sheldon Creed, the runner-up at Daytona, finishes in P4, and Parker Retzlaff for Jordan Anderson Racing rounds out the top five. Again, number 21, RCR Chevrolet for Austin Hill, again, uh, sponsored by Bennett, of course. Again, it was at the expense of his teammate in this race is Jesse Love. If we're talking two for two here, folks, I mean, RCR has had a dominant start to the season. Austin Hill has won both races. His teammate, who's also a rookie in the Xfinity Series, Jesse Love, has won the pole for both races, and Love dominated and started from the pole, swept the first two stages, and led 157 of the race's 169 laps. But he ran out of fuel. At the start of a two-lap overtime period, Hill grabbed the lead for the first time all race after it was a lot of single-file racing. His, car, his drivers were just trying to take care their equipment. Again, held off eventual runner-up Chandler Smith by just over a tenth of a second to win the race, but Austin Hill 2-for-2 to start the season. Very impressive. Now on to the NASCAR Cup Series, also at Atlanta Motor Speedway this on Sunday. Daniel Suarez scored his second career Cup Series win, his first since June 2022, all the way back at Sonoma, was Suarez's first win, and this one uh, much needed for Suarez. Again, top ten for the race, Suarez. Uh, Ryan Blaney by just three thousandths of a second. We'll get to that in just a second. Kyle Busch, third. Uh, Austin Sindrick for Penske Racing led and was strong all day. Strong P4. Bubba Wallace, two top fives to begin the season. He's the only driver, by the way, this season to have two top tens in the first two races. Uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. in sixth. Ross Chastain in seventh. Michael McDowell the pole sitter for the race at 8th. Uh, Chris Buescher in ninth, and Ty Gibbs right out the top 10. But as I mentioned, it was the third closest finish in the history of the Cup Series. Three thousandths of a second. Three for Dale. 
It was an impressive finish after an incredible race at Atlanta. Lots of negativity has surrounded Atlanta since the resurfacing and repaving and reconfiguration of the track in recent years, but it has aged wonderfully, and it was one of the most entertaining races in a while. Ratings went up, and again, Todd Gilland even led a race-high 58 laps. He's led the most laps of anybody to start the season. But again, third-close finish of the season, a record 48 lead changes amongst 14 drivers. The fifth straight race at Atlanta with more than a dozen leaders. And again, uh, that 58 laps for Todd Gillen, team high in a single race by Front Row Motorsports. Again, Cindric led for 32 laps, Blaney for 31, Penske was strong, also Kyle Busch led for 28 laps, but Daniel Suarez led twice for 9 laps, and he led the most important lap of the day. Scores his first win of the year, and has essentially locked himself into the playoffs. So, big win for Suarez, especially on a bit of a hot seat entering the season after not making the playoffs last year. Now into the High Limit Racing Series at Golden Isle Speedway in Waynesville, Georgia. Happened on Saturday. Uh, the podium in the Deuces Wild finale, essentially the A-Main for the weekend. The 1A of Jacob Allen scored the victory by just over a little of a second of the 7BC of Tyler Courtney and then the number 13 of Justin Peck rounded out the podium. Also in V8 Supercars, it was a two-race show on the same day on Saturday. At the uh, th- It was at the Mount Panorama, also known as Bathurst. Uh, the Thrifty Bathurst 500. Again, 40 laps each. Bathurst and Mount Panorama is, uh, if you've ever seen a V8 Supercars race, they're racing all, they race up the side of a mountain and then down the mountain. It's an incredible track. Look it up. It's fantastic. But the, the winner of race one, it was a weekend sweep, really, for Red Bull Ampole Racing. As the number 88 machine of Brock Feeney at Camaro scored the win. As Feeney, it's the first race of the season for V8 Supercars. It's his first win of the season. His teammate, Will Brown, in second. Chaz Mostert uh, for... Walkinshaw and Dreddy uh, rounded out the podium for the first race. And then race two, it was the teammate of Brock Feeney, number 87, Will Brown, who swept over from the currently in turmoil Erebus Motorsport in the offseason. Will Brown now driving for Red Bull and Pole Racing, taking the seat of... Shane Van Gisbergen. And uh, Will Brown with the win for Red Bull and Paul Racing. Mostert finished second on the podium of, uh, again, race two. And then Brock Feeney rounded out the top three. So, it was a busy weekend in racing. Again, that's the conclusion of Flag to Flag. Four or five great races. Uh, There was no World of Outlaws this week. We had just the High Limit Racing Series. But we'll take a quick break here on Speed Zone. And when we come back, it'll be the best segment of the show. What's up this week? So get ready to find out what's up this week next here on Speed Zone. This is your Weedmeister 2000 string trimmer, cranking up to chow down on the crabgrass growing out of your driveway. This is the little chunks of rock and dirt flying everywhere like shrapnel, hitting your ankles, and sooner or later, hitting... Your eye. This is you calling yourself every name in the book for not wearing eye protection when working with a lawn tool. Any lawn tool. And this is a message about safety from the American Optometric Association. What's up this week? And what is up this week? we got a lot going on this week on Speed Zone and in the world of racing. Starting out with Friday, it is the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. That'll be a 9 p.m. race again on Friday, the only racing event happening on Friday, 9 p.m. on FS1 of the Motor Racing Network. So if you want to tune in to the third Truck Series race of the year, it will not be on a super speedway. So hopefully the driving standards are a little bit better. We'll be uh, talking more about the Atlanta weekend in the Racing Roundtable segment coming up next. But continuing with what's up this week, Saturday, the complete opposite of Friday, jam-packed. Starting with uh, Formula One is in Bahrain for the Bahrain Grand Prix. Coverage beginning at 10 a.m. on ESPN. That'll open up the season for Formula One. And the World Endurance Championship, or otherwise known as it will begin its season in Qatar for the Qatar 1812-kilometer. That's uh, you. That's the official name of the race. It's about 10 hours. It's about a 10-hour race at uh, Lucille International Circuit. Again, it'll be 1,812 kilometers. 
uh, they begin the season for the World Endurance Championship. That's also managed by FIA, which also is involved with Formula One, obviously. So uh, two FIA events happening to begin the weekend. Ten hours of racing at Lucille Circuit in Qatar. And then also the Xfinity Series, the NASCAR Xfinity Series, rather, at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Uh, race will begin at 5 p.m. on FS1, and coverage for that race on radio will be PRN. The ZMAX Cars Tour Pro Late Models with the new sponsor this year. It'll be the first race with uh, ZMAX, the new sponsor of the Cars Tour this season. will be at Southern National Motorsports Park for the Eggholm 100 at 4.30 p.m. on Flow Racing. Again, it'll be the Pro Late Models. You'll have to wait uh, for the rest, or it'll be the, the Super Late Models will be racing down the, down the schedule a little bit, but the Pro Late Models starting out the season for the Cars Tour. And then also the Smart Mod Tour, the Southern Modifieds, opening its season at Florence Motor Speedway with the Peanut Patch 99. That race will be on Flow Racing. Also, the as I, if I didn't mention it, the Cars Tour race will also be on Flow Racing. So, two races on Flow Racing, but a jam-packed Saturday. That's five racing events on Saturday if you want to tune in. So, if you got more than just one screen in your house, hey, you got the radio too to tune into some of it. So, it'll be an exciting Saturday in the world of racing. Then Sunday... NASCAR, the Cup Series, will be at Las Vegas Motor Speedway for the Pennzoil 400. That'll be at 3.30 p.m. on Fox and also on the Performance Racing Network, PRN. Also, the World of Outlaws, night one of two at the Bike Week Jamboree at Volusia Speedway Park in Barberville, Florida. That race will be on Dirt Vision. That'll be a night race. So if you watched the Cup Series race earlier today, you could finish out your Sunday some World of Outlaws action. And guess what? We got Monday action this week. The World of Outlaws, night two of two at the Bike Week Jamboree at Volusia Speedway Park yet again. Uh, that'll again be on Dirt Vision. So two nights of World of Outlaws racing to close out the week. Uh, again, one on Sunday, one on Monday, and a jam-packed weekend of racing. A stark contrast to a couple weeks ago is racing has been trickling back in, and now we're just about back in full force. The only thing missing, I mean, we got uh, IndyCar to come, we got a couple late model series nationally run to come back, and then World of Outlaws not even racing, or it is racing this week, but no high limit racing series, so plenty of series back. It's great. Racing is back, folks. We'll take another quick break here on Speed Zone, and when we come back, it'll be the Racing Roundtable segment where myself and two panelists will be talking Talking about all the hot topics in racing of this week. So stay tuned. More on Speed Zone up next. Don't think a penny buys much? Depends on how much you value safety. One way to check tire safety is by placing a penny upside down in the tread. If you can see the top of Lincoln's head, you need to replace your tires. We can help you travel more safely with a five-minute monthly tire check. To learn more, visit our website at www.nhtsa.gov. Tire safety. Everything rides on it. If you don't want to listen, get your earplugs ready, because we're about to hear some high-octane debate. It's time for the Racing Roundtable, with your host Ben Cower and multiple guest panelists. Whew, now that that's over, who's at the table today? And who is at the table today? Again, should be no surprise. Once again, it is our favorite, Stale Garrett and Sean Kelly. Thanks for coming on the show tonight, guys. Thank you, Ben. Happy to be here. Hey, you know what? We're back in the studio again. We have a sound panel again. Isn't that great? Yes. It's fantastic. It's great. I love it. Yes. That's incredible. It that is incredible. I'm so glad to hear Kyle Petty's voice again. We missed him. Such a magnificent creature. For, we had to pre-record the discussion for the last two episodes because of some scheduling here at Marshall University with uh, athletics, and last Wednesday night had to air earlier because of uh, basketball, but you know what? Uh, we are back, and everything is normal. Making, so it's great. Making the most out of that sand panel. Oh, we're making the most out of it. So let's jump right into the first topic. NASCAR at Atlanta. And let's begin with the Cup Series, the classic. I mean, I don't think anybody was expecting this. I mean, really, the only I think the only person with the crystal ball was Dale Jr., where last July he said, hey, this, is, this should be the hottest ticket in NASCAR. We all kind of called this bluff. And it wasn't just us. It was the industry. We're like, really? Atlanta? And then guess what? 
It turned out to be an unbelievable race at Atlanta on Sunday. Let's begin with the Cup Series Classic before we move on, and we'll talk about the Truck Series and the Xfinity Series races later. Not much happened, really, in those were a set of crashes. So let's begin with the Cup Series Classic. Guys, your thoughts on an incredible race at Atlanta. Dale, beginning with you. Yeah, it um, certainly was definitely entertaining. No, no lack of entertainment on on Sunday for sure. But, man, I'm still not a new a fan of this new Atlanta. Whoa! Still not sold. It's just two back-to-back weeks of restrictor plate racing. We can always open up the season to Daytona. That's fantastic. Never change it. But what they've done to Atlanta... Now, let me preface this by saying the old Atlanta, yeah, it was falling apart. You need to repaved. Okay? That's fine. That's dandy. We can all agree with that. Yes. But as far as what they've done with it by putting the package on it and making it a restrictor plate race, I, I just... It doesn't do it for me. It doesn't do it for me. Oh. You know, it's it's funny. And before I go into uh, more on that on that sort of topic, you know, it's funny. The, the, the ending of the cup race, uh, that is, where NASCAR has tried for years now of... All these new rule changes and stages stages added all those years ago and everything to try and get a, a younger, non-NASCAR fan base into the sport. And all we needed this whole time was a close finish that resembled the ending of the Cars movie. Yeah. <laughs> and now, now, ever, now everyone's in. But no, I, as a whole, the cup race was kind of frustrating to me. Because as classic of a finish as it is... I mean, I can't help but think that most of the race was frustrating because just when it seemed like they were starting to get a good run going, there would be a wreck that would be started for just a completely avoidable reason almost every single time. And that... I mean, even by the end, I was just sort of thinking... just, And I saw a lot of people were just, please make it to five laps without wrecking and just end this race already because there were so many cautions before that and and so many wrecks it's granted the ending was great i mean it was it was uh, you know no i it's sometimes it's a little ironic and you can make fun of it you know we we preface the racing roundtable with high op, high octane debate and sometimes there isn't much of debate because a lot of the time we're kind of in unison with our opinion a lot of these races I'm gonna have debate today. It was a great race. I'm sorry. Uh, like Atlanta has been so disappointing the last couple years, you know. Uh, and yes, I think it's a tragedy because the last configuration of Atlanta would be great with this car, with the next gen car. I mean, intermediate races have been fantastic. It's the perfect car for intermediates after years and years of just struggling to have good racing at these tracks for NASCAR. But do I think if they didn't have the play tracks, or if they if they weren't having a restrictor plate setup for Atlanta right now, would it still be a good race? Yeah, I think it would put on a good show if you just put the normal cars out there for like a normal intermediate race. If it was the same setup at like a Kansas or a Charlotte, and you had them go around Atlanta, the speeds would be insane. But at the same time, I think the race would still be good. Uh, you could argue, yeah, it's a little artificial and maybe a little too much super speedway racing at the beginning of the season. Uh, I think heading into this race, nobody was expecting this race to be as entertaining as it was, which is why I think everybody was like rolling their eyes and saying, oh, brother, NASCAR is starting the season with two super speedway races. It's going to be two wreckfests in a row. You've seen how it's affected the trucks. <laughs> the, the entry lists have gone from over 40 to, like, what, 37, 38, and then now there's only 32 at Las Vegas. Go, going back to what you said about about the cup race, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it wasn't a bad, uh, that or that it was a bad race. Yeah. I'm just saying it was frustrating. Okay. And That's fair. It's, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and, of course, uh, you know, the cars have probably done better on the old configuration, whatever. But that's not that's not what gets me, and it's it's not even really the fact that there's two super speedways back to back. It's what mostly got me on this point was the discourse after the race, uh. where everyone everyone who at least the reactions that I saw online flipped on a dime once the once the finish happened because before the finish, 
all I saw was just the same points that we've had before Atlanta. Of, everybody's gridlocked. Yeah, everyone side by side. Everyone's everyone's gridlocked. This was a mistake. Why did Atlanta go to a super speedway? And then immediately after the three ride finish, everyone goes, "Oh my God, this was you know the greatest thing to happen in NASCAR. This was great, and it was. It was great. Not not saying that it was bad. Not saying that it was a bad race, but." It's just funny how people's opinions change after one finish because I know for a fact that if Blaney just raced it out and there wouldn't have been any sort of three wide at all or anything, it would have just been people the been same. Like, oh, it's fine. It would have been the same talking points that we would have had last year and before this race. It probably we'd be handling it probably the same way we had the Daytona finish, where it'd be like, oh, you know, it was a solid race, but you know, finish was really nothing special, you know. Blaine has kind of blocked everybody in turn three, four, and one, but thank God that didn't happen. <laughs> Dale, you're going to say sorry, I cut you off. No, you're fine. Um, but the race from turn four to the start finish line, yeah, it was great. Mm-hmm. What about the rest of it? Exactly. So, everything, everything matters. Everything exists in context. Yeah. So, and I'm not discounting the finish at all. It was yeah. a spectacular finish and has helped it blow up this week on Twitter and everywhere else. But as far as the rest of the race, I'm with Sean. It was kind of frustrating, most namely Chase Briscoe. Oh, my goodness. Well, (laughs) even then, I would argue that Briscoe making moves like that kind of dispels the notion that it was overly gridlocked like it has been in the past, where guys were able to use runs and you know you try and shoot the gap in the middle or you cut down to the bottom i honestly think it worked better than daytona where you would just get freight trained badly at daytona and talladega too it's it happens but with the way that atlanta's set up i mean sure it, it's not like you can just pass anybody at free will but i think the lines worked fairly good uh the fact that they could even go three wide was impressive four wide it all it, it did work for one turn <laughs> when Cindric had that awesome move off of turn four down the front stretch through the quad oval. It's not a tri-oval, but through the quad oval, he cut to the inside. They went four wide, and the turn one made it work. Uh, that was really cool. Um, no, I, I'll agree. I don't think you can just pass at will, but you're not going to do that in a, in a modern super speedway race. I thought it was better than it had been which, you know, is clearing a low bar for Atlanta in recent years, but especially after the reconfiguration, because we've had some, it's been like, it, it was like I-95, you know, in the last couple of races where you just sit there, the guy who starts in sixth is going to sit in sixth for like 40 laps, unless there's a wreck. And there was an early wreck, and honestly, that might have shook things up a little bit. But that early wreck was at lap four, wanted up a record amount of cars in turn one, which was, you know, dumb. It was but. it was lap I remember it was lap two because I remember I I, I, uh, I was on a call with my mom mm-hmm. and then she was she was watching the race too and I was ahead of her and I remember going, Oh, great. Awesome. <laughs> Mike on lap two. That's a wonderful start. I thought the mo- I thought the lines worked better, honestly, than they did at Daytona. Uh, I thought it was a good race. I thought the passing was better. No, I wouldn't argue it's the best plate race of all time. No, I don't think the passing was just fluid. Like then then again, no, one, no one's arguing that anyways. Well, I mean, you guys were like, I think it's more gridlock and you couldn't pass. I didn't say that. Yeah, we, I oh. Well, I mean, what, so what are you saying? I just want to know. I'm saying that if you look at this from a driver's perspective, mm-hmm. the old Atlanta, yeah, worn out, but that, I guarantee you, was a blast to drive with the throttle control. At least for some who like doing yeah. that. But now what they've done to it is you just sit there riding around with you can make the same argument for Daytona Talladega but mm. those tracks are tradi- traditionally this way um, they've you know you could ride around all day and then all of a sudden something happens and all, all the cars being that close together not every single race has to be a barn burner oh yeah, yeah. well I agree with that finish or not mm-hmm. yeah. that's part of what I'm saying and I just I'm just not a fan of them taking what was not obviously not the greatest product of what we had before and turning it into an artificial show I think it was just when it comes to Atlanta I think it was just a now the reconfiguration, I mean, it put on a great show on Sunday, in my opinion, but the I can see how it feels way more artificial, and I think personally the timing of the reconfiguration of the track was just so unfortunate, which is why I think with Texas, they have a second chance, SMI has a second chance here, where I think if they're going to do anything to Texas, they should turn it into what Atlanta's last configuration was, before it, you know the service got way too old, 
I think that's how Texas should be repaved, is make it like Atlanta from when it changed in 97. I think that's the most realistic solution here for Texas. And instead of turning it into what Atlanta is now, because you already have Atlanta. Don't make a second Atlanta, even though there was a great race. I want to say that, too. We don't need more tracks like this. Yeah, I saw a yeah. lot of people We don't saying, need more. Saying that, oh, we need more. I'm like, no. It's great when no. something is unique and it's its own thing, and that's kind of what makes it special. Mm-hmm. It's like if uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, sure, with IndyCar, it's great. I, I don't think we anybody would ever go... I mean, Ontario Motor Speedway, back in the late 60s and 70s, they built a, a clone of Indianapolis out on the West Coast. It failed. You know why? Because... The, the racing, the configuration was the same, but it lacked the grandeur of it. It's not special. It's When something is its own thing, mm-hmm. it works. If you try to spread that and just try and capitalize on a cookie-cutter formation, look at how that is at least across like a 20-year span worked out for NASCAR, where it, you had Chicagoland, gone. You, know, you have Kansas, who is still there. Uh, Nashville was gone for like 15 years nearly 20 years, and now it's back. But a lot of these cookie cutters kind of just went away or failed kind of in the long run. I mean, the investment for Chicagoland was a bad one in the long run. Uh, I think Atlanta should just st- just stick it with this. Don't make another track like this. But to go back to my original point, I think Atlanta, it, the repave and reconfiguration happened right before the next gen happened. So I think if they kept the old configuration for a next gen race, I think they would have just kept the track the same. I think it would have just been a repave of that configuration. But nobody knew that the Gen 6 car was going to be as good, or creating as good of a product when it comes to racing on intermediate tracks uh, as we found out. I think it would have been different if we knew that the Gen 6 was going to be a surefire great car when it comes to racing on 1.5 milers. But that's just my statement. I think I think it was a good race. I'm not saying that it was the best race of all time, but I'm saying that I was thoroughly entertained. I don't want it every single week, though. Uh, as you say, Dale, not every race needs to be a barn burner. Because yeah. at that point, it just gets sugary sweet. It gets mm-hmm. artificial. So we'll move on to the next topic. And we'll focus on the winner of the race, Daniel Suarez, where it's only the second win of his cup career, and he missed the playoffs last year, and now he's in the playoffs with this win. Uh, Albeit he won by three thousandths of a second over Ryan Blaney and a little bit more over Kyle Busch, who had to stick out his tongue to make it a three-wide finish. Uh, I think Suarez... Especially with all the moves Trackhouse has made in the offseason. It signed Zane Smith to a future deal. It has Carson Hosevar kind of locked up. It has Shane Van Gisbergen. You know, that's that's five guys. And you can only have four cars in a cup team. And Trackhouse has only got two right now. So did Suarez not just save his cup career with the win, but did he save his spot at Trackhouse for the foreseeable future? Justin Mark said after the race, I can't possibly see Suarez anywhere except for the Trackhouse car. Sean, I'll go to you first. I say yes, because even in 2022, with his first cup win and him having a top 10 points finish, he was still kind of overshadowed by Chastain's, by how Chastain ended the year, and even more in 2023, once they got SVG, who even even though he only ran two races, uh, in the public eye, uh, he's still overshadowed there, and uh, as you said, with these new si- with the new signings that they have now, uh, there was an even greater chance of him slipping in uh, relevance, at least. And he was the first driver that Trackhouse signed at, uh, above all those guys, so he needed something to breathe new life into his name and at least be remembered by at, uh, during his time there. And this was. It, at least for now. I believe Suarez deserves to be in Cup wholeheartedly. He's proven that. He's got an Xfinity championship. And it just... I don't... For, here's the problem. I don't foresee him being ever, under any circumstances, being a Cup superstar. That's I just, fair. I just yeah. don't see it. He doesn't have the star power Chastain has. Doesn't have the star you power. You mean like driving ability or like... All of it. Okay. Personality, driving ability, all of it. Um, you know... 
obviously he's unique because he's from Monterey, Mexico. But the pinata and all that, the, the tacos and yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, as Ken Square said, the Mexican. Yes, <laughs> fantastic. It was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, as far as him saving his career over this, oh, it certainly boosts stock. It helps, but I'm not sold on him until he starts being fast everywhere else. Again, tall order. But I just don't see that happening. You know, we get excited about somebody who wins at a plate track. It's like, oh, oh, here we go. Like, yeah. <laughs> here's a great example: Ricky Stenhouse. Yeah. What has Ricky Stenhouse done anywhere but a plate track? Yeah. It gets two nationwide titles and goes up to cup. And is, I mean, outside of just being a plate track merchant, you know, he's, he's relatively okay at other tracks. He's, he hasn't shown dominance anywhere. You know, and, and he's not in a top tier car either. No. Yeah. But still. You get where I'm going with it. Yeah, yeah. That's, it, it's that level of driver where it's like you're you're not necessarily a journeyman, but at the yeah. same time you're in cup, you made it, you have cup level ability, but you're never going to win championship. It's yeah. like you're there, you can win a race or two a year, and you're very much in like a you know like a Ricky Craven role, you know, where it's like hey, you could have the the right car on the right day, you're going to go out and win because mm-hmm. you got the ability to win. But kind of ironic given the finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where uh, yeah, that's. Good point. Uh, the uh, but Daniel Suarez is. I agree with that. I, I say Suarez. I I think he's a really cool guy to have in the sport. I think it's rare that you have an international driver that can come into the sport be as successful as Suarez has been. I mean, he's a champion. He won an Xfinity Series title, albeit was he the most dominant car that season. No, but he won the title. He, everything fell right in his favor, and he won multiple races that season. So he earned his spot in Cup. It took him a little while to kind of get up to. Sp- speed in cup but my i'd say yeah he saved his he saved his butt at track house with this win could he have won somewhere else this season i mean we got circuit of the americas coming up in a couple races and he was the most dominant car there last year until it all went until it broke so his car broke on him so the uh of which and he almost won atlanta in july he finished second there last year in july so it didn't really shock me that he was really good in this race too, but yeah, he saved his butt at Trackhouse with this win. Um, I guarantee you, Justin Marks wouldn't have been if he finished second or third in this race. I think Justin Marks would have been happy, but he wouldn't have been saying, "I can't think of just I can't think of Daniel Suarez in any car the rest of his career except at Trackhouse." You know, he would I w- not be saying that if Daniel Suarez did not win this race. You know, I was thinking the same thing when when you read that quote. I was thinking if if he didn't win this race and it ended up being either Bush, Bush or, or Blaney, Blaney, he wouldn't have been saying that quote. No, when we wouldn't have been talking about Suarez at all. No, it, it with so many drivers at Trackhouse's fingertips that are really good. I mean. Zane Smith, truck series champion, he's now full time in Cup at Spire with the assistance of Trackhouse, and I'm sure the full intention to bring him into the mothership within a year or two. And then you have Carson Hosevar, who's also at Spire and is under the umbrella of Trackhouse. And then you have Shane Van Gisbergen. Their Trackhouse is in partnership with Colic to put him through and teach him how to run ovals. Hey, did pretty well this week. Third place already in his second oval race, at least in an Xfinity Series car. And you have. Uh, a lot of drivers at the disposal of Trackhouse, and that's five. You're counting five with Jastain, and somebody's going to get left out in the cold. And, I mean, especially after missing the playoffs last year, you know, Trackhouse had its struggles, but at least Chastain had that insane performance at Nashville, ridden really the best car all day, and then Trackhouse kind of fell off a cliff the rest of the year after that. Suarez just didn't step up to the plate last year. It was a lot. It was a combination of bad luck and just... Didn't have the pace to win, and this is huge. This is a big win. I, I would say it saved his butt at Trackhouse, uh, but when it comes to his Cup career, I think he would have stayed in Cup, even if he didn't win this year and gets released from Trackhouse. He has the money, the support, uh, and, I mean, the ability. I mean, do I think he would be at a team with the caliber of Trackhouse? No, but do I think he would have you know gone back to like a like a Gaunt Brothers racing back in 2020? No, I don't think he the apple would have fallen that far. Or I don't think the... Uh, his stock would have fallen. That no, far. it wouldn't have fallen that far. I was going to say the pinata wouldn't have fallen that far from the tree. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> I wasn't sure if that allegory would work. Uh, the but that's my point is I think it saved his butt at Trackhouse. I don't think it necessarily saved his cup career. At least for the, at least for the short term. Yeah, yeah, for the so. short term. Yeah. Let's see where we're at in four or five weeks. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll move on to the next topic. Oh! 
as there were two other races this week um, at Atlanta. Uh, yeah. There was the Truck Series race and the Xfinity Series race. I'm sure this will be a little more uh, they ex- uh, they ex- brief ex- than the <laughs> discussion of the Cup Series race and everything before. But yeah, they happened. Um, let's talk about them at least a little bit. Uh, Dale, we'll start with you. Xfinity and Trucks, what'd you see? What'd you like? What'd you didn't like? Yeah, what'd you this, not like? This could be a little bit contradictory to my earlier statement about barn burner races, but man, mm-hmm. <laughs> those guys in second place in both those races, uh, Time of Jeske and I don't remember who was second in Xfinity, but mm-hmm. anyways, did they even attempt to make a move? No, they didn't. They just kind of stayed there. Yeah. You know? What are you doing? What are you doing? That's Unless you're Mike Harmon, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Sean, what'd you think? I mean, on the Xfinity side, it was a lot of the same... Chugga, chugga, yeah, chugga, 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 a lot of the same train, single-file racing that Choo-choo. we've seen. I mean, the biggest story out of any of this, I would say, isn't even who won, but it's the fact that uh, Shane Van Gisberg on his second super speedway race finished third, and Jesse Love running out of fuel with two to go after yeah, dominating that unlucky. entire race. As, I mean, other than that, there's really not much to talk about with these two races. I, I will say though that it's it's uh, maybe a, a a low bar to hop for the truck <laughs> series, but you know, uninteresting is better than we can say for the previous two truck series races even going oh, back to last disastrous. year. Disastrous. <laughs> uh, maybe it's a testament to Kyle Busch returning and mm-hmm. having at least one cup guy in there to yeah. add, you know, bring balance to the yeah. force, if you will. Dad was home. Everybody was on their best behavior. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, my thought on the, not just really the two races, and I'm not going to say this about the two races, but the Xfinity Series plate racing package. Boo! You it's not good. Daytona was not great either. And I don't know if it's the package. I, I think it's the package. Because it's allowing these guys to race like this. And the cars are great in Xfinity at every other track outside of play tracks. It's just, it, it's, I don't know what NASCAR needs to do, but. It could have been the 2013 Daytona 500, Ben. It could have been that. Which but it is, wasn't that. It wasn't that. But it was a lot of... Not every race has to be a barn burn. I know, this but This is it's the just, highest level although, of... Chugga, 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 chugga. I don't want to watch trains. You know, some people really love trains. I I, I'd like trains, <laughs> but I wouldn't sit at the rail yard all day and, like, say, wow, look at that Amtrak go. I'll also say that its plan is to run... NASCAR's plan is to run the package at Indy and Michigan mm-hmm. also. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, and with, no, and with how... That. And with how the... Oh, no! <laughs> exactly, DW. Yeah. <laughs> and with how those races have fared in the past in terms of, uh, at least from the fans' perspective, mm. it's not looking good. And I don't really foresee NASCAR making any sort of drastic changes to the package this year either. Oh, no! <laughs> yeah, we'll move on to the next topic. That's my reaction to all of that. All right, there was penalties this week. We said it in the beginning of the show. Who got penalized? Oh, it was Joey Logano because he decided to become Spider-Man and have webbed gloves to try and cheat the system where in qualifying, uh, guys have been sticking their left hand right in the corner of the window between the window net and the... Uh, which bar is it? What is that? The A-post. The A-post. And... the. Drivers have been sticking their hand in there to stop the airflow from getting inside the car. And Logano and Pen- Team Penske, credit to him, uh, thought of the idea of having a webbed glove so that when he's holding his hand and going, you know, spreading out the five fingers, there's not as much, there's literally no airflow going in between the fingers. So he got penalized for that. Uh, alongside Stuart Haas Racing, it was also penalized after, uh, again, Logano, just to specify, find 10K. $10,000 for the safety violation. And it was also penalized. They had to do a pass-through penalty uh, at the race uh, because it was a competition penalty is how NASCAR phrased it. And then also Ryan Priest and Noah Gragson uh, docked 35 points each for roof air deflectors that were not in compliance because it was a team-made part. This is now the second time in less than a year that Stewart Racing, early on in a season, has made its own part or tried to modify something. It got walloped last year because... It was not a team-made part. It was a manufacturer part. It was a, a once manuf- it was a one supplier part that it screwed with, and uh, that's a big no-no. So 
Priest and Gregson already in the hole. Not, neither have really had that great of a start to the season. Now 35 points. Gregson's in negative points <laughs> to start this season. Well, I officially have more points than Noah Gregson. <laughs> yes, all of us do. If you're <laughs> listening, unless you're Noah Gregson, guess what? You you have more points than Noah Gregson. Good job. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's not great. Uh, again, the penalty for Team Penske, 10K. That's a, that's a penny in the jar. But for Stuart Haas, uh, again... <sighs> I'll say two two part question here because I want to hear your opinion. Was was Logano and Penske dumb or clever for the glove trick? And also, how much are these penalties going to set back Stuart Haas this year? And it's not certainly not helping with the reputation change. Dale, we'll start with you. So the glove idea out of Team Penske and Joey Logano, clever. Bravo! Give me a round of applause, <laughs> please. Thank you. <laughs> there we, you caught me the one moment where I'm trying late to catch stuff sleeping, in the lawn. Late reaction yeah. from the crowd. I was just sleeping. I, I, it's because I was. We were talking about the Xfinity in the truck race. It fell asleep yeah. back here. So anyway, but yeah, super clever. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> albeit you know against uh, well against the rules, and, yeah. but still mm. very clever idea. Um, you know, and Stuart Haas. <sighs> you got to do something when you suck. But yeah, man, womp womp. That's I can see them recovering. Um, mm. It is early in the year, but they cannot afford another super bad year if they want to make the playoffs. Yeah, no. you, you can't have a lot of moves like these when you're already so far trying to build yourself up from the the hole that you've dug if you're Stuart Haas. I mean, regarding the uh, Logano and Penske glove trick. I mean, considering that other drivers have used it, I, I wouldn't... Clever isn't the word I would use, but it's certainly not dumb. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's trying to you know, work its way through, through a loophole that other drivers have found, so it's... It's a ten thousand dollar gamble. Yeah, ten thousand dollar roll of the dice to see if NASCAR is going to do anything it about it. It just so happened to be the time that NASCAR you know, sniffed it out. Well, NASCAR inspection and NASCAR safety was on... On something this weekend, yeah, uh, at Atlanta because it nabbed Stuart Haas. But I'll keep my thoughts brief. Uh, do I think it was? I think it was clever from Penske. I think it was worth the gamble. Didn't work out, but I think it was worth it. I mean, Logano ended up working his way through the back again, almost won before he wrecked. So I, I think the gamble was worth it. Uh, again, 10k a drop in the bucket for, ten, for Team Penske, and then for Stuart Haas. Um, just don't modify the parts, or at least be more clever about it. I get this is the only team that has been caught red-handed multiple times when doing this. So, just be better, cheat better. Everybody's cheating, at least to an, a, a little bit, and to an extent. Everybody in the garage cheats, even with the next-gen car that's designed to keep you from cheating. Everybody does, uh, but just. Don't be so heavy-handed about it, because <laughs> you're already are putting your drivers in the hole again, and. The next topic, I think keeping with Stuart Haas Racing, we'll make this the next topic. It was said today from Marshall Pruitt, who uh, Racer.com is one of the, arguably the the biggest name when it comes to reporting in the IndyCar uh, garage. He said, coming from, and I quote, If you're a Honda fan and you like NASCAR, you're probably going to be really happy here in the future. End quote. That's what Marshall Pruitt said today, and I'm keeping it on Stuart Haas Racing in the topic here. Uh, you know, we, we've we chatted about manufacturers, and I mean, Steve Phelps uh, for the Daytona episode, we, we talked about how Steve Phelps said, hey, we got serious interest in a fourth manufacturer coming into NASCAR. And we all kind of said it'd be Honda. <laughs> it's no I mean, secret. You, I mean, you could tell from that interview. Yeah. where it's, he was he was asked, you know, joke, kind of jokingly, mm. "Is it Honda?" And he just goes, ha, 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 I'm, "Maybe." I can't Mike, confirm or deny. Yeah, yeah. My question to you guys is not going to be stating the obvious of is Honda going to come in or not. I'm going to say if Honda comes in, is Stuart Haas the team to jump to it? I Sean, mean, we'll start with you. I mean, Stuart Haas was already in the rumors last year of changing manufacturers, so it's certainly not out of it's certainly not out of the question. And especially if it has another rough season, as it's kind of starting out to be this year, I, I can de- I can definitely see it. Sh- or, uh, sorry, Dale, what do you think? Aren't they pretty low on the Ford totem pole? It's still a tier one team, but that was going to be my point: is that front row got added to the tier one teams in Ford for and the we, Ford support this year. So, and we see how they're doing; they're yeah, fantastic. And it's aligned with Penske, yeah, instead of RFK. But then again, RFK is doing great. Penske's doing great. 
Front row is having a historically good season this year. It's led the most. It's led the most laps collectively amongst uh, Michael McDowell then, and Todd Gilland. Then again, than anybody else. It's then, been on the front row for two straight races. It's living up to the namesake. Then again, front row has always been good at plate races. It has. That's a good point. But we'll, we'll see what happens after that. But yeah, McDowell it's had was, speed this year. Yeah, McDowell was no slouch there last year. Got the wind at or win mm. at Indy, and um, even at the mile and a half and short tracks, McDowell ran well at Bristol. He's mm. ran. He's, I'm, I'm excited for them. Really the only am. mouth that isn't getting fed on the Ford side in the Cup or in the Cup side of Ford teams is Stuart Haas Racing. It's mm-hmm. been dreadful the last couple of years. Like really, since what 2020, yeah. 2020. Or 2019, 2020. The fact that it's been nearly half a decade since Stuart Haas Racing has been a dominant force in Cup is really concerning and mind-boggling, even. Yeah, yeah. With, with it being a four-car team, and I mean the drivers that it had at that point, uh, and now have. I mean, I'm not saying that the four drivers at Stuart Haas are bad drivers at all. I think you know, in good equipment, I think all four could be. Uh, race-winning drivers here in the Cup Series. Yes, even Ryan Priest. It's maybe somewhere other than a short track, but it's got to go to Honda at this point. All the other mouths are getting fed, and you're starving. And if Honda's coming in, you got a four-car team, you got four charters, you got to make that jump. you, you got to do it for the health of your own team. And, and Tony is not averse to working with other manufacturers. You know who he works with in NHRA? He's a Dodge team. He's not Ford. Ford's in NHRA, and he's a Dodge team. Yeah, and it's a separate entity other than Stuart Haas Racing. It's Tony Stewart Racing, but he works with another manufacturer over there. I think Tony's going to go where the grass is greener. If I were him, and I, I'm not Tony Stewart, but this <laughs> makes sense. You know, it's got to go to Honda. And Tony's known for being very, very vocal, and mm, yeah, he's not afraid oh, to... Tony Stewart never says anything. What? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, well, uh, uh, that'll be something to pay attention here, folks. If Honda comes to NASCAR, it's just going to continue to get spicier, and the momentum will just continue to grow for NASCAR. So we'll move on to the next topic. Uh, we will go to Hendrick Motorsports has some news today, uh, and also just in general the last two days, really. Hendrick Motorsports is going to field the number 17 car again in the Xfinity Series for about 10 races. All four of its cup drivers are going to split that car for those races. And then Boris said, who said Boris said? He's back at Sonoma. Said heads. Said heads. Said heads are going to return. Oh, they're back. And uh, I just want to ask you guys, are you annoyed by the return of bushwhacking, uh, or are you happy Experienced drivers are racing again in the lower series, especially with the arguable lack of respect in some of the recent events and lower driving standards. Sean, we'll start with you on this one. As long as it's uh, you know when it, when it's a situation like this where it's just Hendrick fielding one car of Cup Series drivers, I'm not mad at it. I don't really see it as any at, at least as it is now, no different than you know bringing a veteran into a team for you know good locker room presence, that sort of deal. But as long as it doesn't create a slippery slope where there's more cup guys coming in and a sort of recreation of what we saw in the 2010s back when the Nationwide Series. And then again, I don't really think it's going to happen to that same extent either if other teams try this sort of thing again and more cup guys come into the Xfinity Series yeah. again. I don't think it's going to get to that extent, and I'm fine with I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I'm with Sean. It's, I think it's okay, um, you know. I, I know that, that a lot of people would rather not have them there, but you know, even the uh, even the drivers say it that mm. that it, it improves their skill set too to yep. be running with the top names in the sport. You're running with champions. You're running with mm-hmm. guys that can win week in week out on the Cup side. It's going to help polish your skills better. Championship equipment as well. I, I like bushwhacking when it's measured and when it's mm-hmm. purposeful. When guys are going like in the 2000s and even the 2010s. I mean, it was it had gotten out of control. I think this balance is good. Only it's only ten races, you know. Xfinity runs thirty-three. It's one third. It's not that bad. I mean, yeah, it'll be annoying if like Sheldon Creed's going for his first one, then here comes William Byron. You know, it's just it'll Plumbles be like no, it'll be like yeah, DW say it. No, no. That'll be my reaction. It'd be like oh, Sheldon Creed could finally do it, and then all of a sudden here comes William Byron with one hell of a run off turn four. But uh, I think it's good if it's purposeful. I think it's also good for the driving standards. I wish they would run in the truck series more than Xfinity. That's my opinion on it. I think the drivers would have more fun in the trucks, and 
between the two. The Truck Series needs it bad. Makes the sense. Truck Series needs veteran presences bad yeah. right now to help mm-hmm. the driving standards in that series, with especially the youth movement going on right now. But uh, that's my opinion. And also mentioned, again, news today for Hendrick uh, Raja Karuth. Uh, HendrickCars.com is going to cover his uh, 71 truck for Spire Motorsports uh, the rest of the season. You guys got any thoughts on that? This is certainly interesting. I, I'm i not for sure what he's done to, to earn this. I've just Mr. Hendrick going out on a limb, but it, it, it'll certainly be interesting, um, albeit, you know, he's young, he's up and coming, got to come in a little bit of slack, but that's that's one heck of an investment to a, oh, yeah. to a young driver like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he ran a race in the 17 car last year. They added a race to run him in Phoenix mm-hmm. at the end of the season. He did fine. He did mm-hmm. well for a guy that, I mean, he's, he's only ever run in Xfinity and, like, I'm not going to call it bad equipment, but I mean, it's like Alpha Prime Racing. You know, it's like mid pack at best. Yeah. And it's like, you're not going to win in that equipment, but you get a taste of that race winning stuff, and it's like, hey, you did solid in it. You know, he was mm-hmm. running in the top 10 for a little bit of that race, finished like, what, top 15, 13th or something? I, I don't remember off the dome, but mm-hmm. he ran well. So I like the investment. I, I think Raja has the ability to grow into a good driver, but he's just got to drive smarter. It's mm-hmm. like, he, you saw what happened to Daytona. Wreck the field, that dumb move coming off turn two in the final lap. It's like, don't do that. You know, even Bubba Wallace was like, hey, don't do that. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking? You know, his interview didn't do him any favors, as we discussed. And <laughs> last year when he was at GMS Racing, he had a lot of the same issues. He's got raw talent mm-hmm. out the hoozza, but he he just needs to harness it and then better his race craft. Just mm-hmm. not drive like a bonehead sometimes because mm-hmm. he's got the talent. To win races, he just has to clean up his racecraft a little bit. But he's bit. young. He he is he is young, so he's got he's got time, and now he's got money. Mm-hmm. So what I had heard is that Chevy gave him a million dollars to go find a race or go find a team to race for this year, and he got he went to Spire, and then now Hendrick is helping cover that uh, the rest of the season. So obviously Chevy likes they like Raja. So uh, my guess is unless he does something terribly wrong, we're going to see him for a long time. We'll move on to the next topic. <laughs> Charters, part two. Last week, I promise this will not be as long as my tangent last week about charters, but uh, an update on what happened last week. NASCAR and the RTA could possibly agree on another quote-unquote evergreen extension of the charter system after all the recent drama. As it was said this week that NASCAR is willing to work towards another like five-year extension, like three to five-year extension on the charters, uh, but the teams, as I mentioned last week, do not want to do that. The teams want permanent charters. They don't, they're trying not to shift in the sand here and not kind of just bow to NASCAR again and make it a temporary thing, but I mean, if it's an evergreen thing, who knows? I ask you guys, is this the smart solution or should a side stick its ground more than it currently is? Sean, we'll start with you. I think that if it can be agreed upon, it seems like a good middle ground. And Now, I mean, in any, in any sport where there's this sort of situation of I wouldn't say, you know, strikes, but, you know, the same sort of bargaining agreement sort of deals. There's usually a middle ground that needs that needs to be set. There's uh, either the league is going to, in this case, NASCAR is going to get its say over everything else, or there's some sort of middle ground, and this is really about as good as I think it's really going to get. It, you know, leaves teams still about as close as it can get to the permanent sort of deal, but from what I'm reading, it's it still gives room NASCAR to play with the rules and sort of bring the hammer down at times. So, it, it seems like a good middle, middle ground to me, at least. Yeah, a compromise is a compromise. Um, Sean, I couldn't have put it any better. You put it beautifully. Great job, Sean. Thank you. <laughs> so, I'm with Sean on this. Yes. Good job, Sean. You can't see it, but I'm taking it back. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, Dale, what do you think? That was or, it. Oh, that's it? Oh, okay. Uh... Not much high-octane debate on this one. No, I won't debate you, Sean. I, I, I agree, but uh, I, I think that a compromise, obviously a compromise is good in this situation because it's still going to work out for the teams. The teams want to keep the charters. It's like, I don't want them to go away. It's going to devalue the teams by... Your four, last thing Stuart Austin needs right now is, is charters to go away because you know, that's, <laughs> that's $200 million of inflated value flying out the window in literally just a, a, a blink of an eye. So... Uh, I personally, I I want charters to go away. You know, I, I want the spirit of like an, a true independent coming up and being able to compete with the best and able to earn money. I think it's stifling the growth of the sport because I think it's 
keeping things kind of static. I won't go into it like I did last week, but charters need to be reworked in a way. Maybe go back to the 35, you know, the the top 35 rule, you know, as it had before, and, you know, it was silly, but I liked it more. More teams could come in and out. I think the sport is at a good point right now when it comes to growth that you take the charter system off, take you rip the Band-Aid off, and you see then all of a sudden Trackhouse could expand to a four-car team next year, and it wouldn't, you know, it would have to think of the, co- of the cost on its side. But teams are going to get more TV money next year. That's what mm-hmm. NASCAR has been proposing, and I think if there's a side that needs to dig in further... I think NASCAR should hold its ground. Don't bargain. Don't allow the charter system to keep on existing if you don't want the charters to stick around. Because it is leading the RTA on. You're giving the RTA more time to think of a way to make charters more permanent. And you're just making the sport more like a country club. Don't make it like Formula One where these teams don't want to let other teams in. It's why open teams don't get any money. There's no purse money. You make the Daytona 500 as an open car, you walk away with no pennies. You walk, you walk away with a, a wallet that just got emptier. Sure, you made the Daytona 500, you might go win it. But it's like you're not making any money. It's like NY Racing, I don't know how it's operating. Showed up to Daytona, missed the race. Then it's coming to Las Vegas this weekend, and it's not going to get a cent. Unless it's getting some financial incentive maybe from another team, but I don't know. I think it's coming out of NY Racing's pockets. So it's coming from coconut water. It's coming from one hundred coconut water. <laughs> you know, the big national sponsor that is one hundred coconut water. <laughs> um, if it's real or not. You know it's national con- you know. the national conglomerate. It's real. I looked it up before. It, it, so last it, it, week. it is yes, real. It's legit. Oh. It is coconut. It is water. Well that's you know that's that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. I uh I wish that NASCAR would dig in further. I don't want to screw the teams over, but it's going to get a bigger cut of money, and just don't make it like a country club. That's my big qualm with charters right now, is it's stifling the growth of the sport. Just end it. We'll move on to the next topic. And we will shift over into the world of IndyCar, as uh, this week, again, IndyCar announced, or I say this week, go figure. it was last Thursday, so a week ago, rather, a little less than a week ago, announced that it will be banning the race-winning move that Joseph Newgarden had, uh, off, or that he used off of Turn 4 in last year's Indianapolis 500, where he swerved down into the pit, the pit lane to shake his opponent off in the draft, and then he went on to win the race. And guys were doing that. You know, they've done that for a couple of years now. It's not like it's a brand new thing, but uh, is it the right move for safety reasons, or is this too restrictive and less trusting of drivers' talent and drafting and their talent overall in the IndyCar series? Dale, start with you. Yeah, it's pretty erotic. Um, I Ironic? Erotic. What? Oh, like, wait. I was thinking you were saying... No. <laughs> Erotic. <laughs> I was like, wait, wait a minute. You made me second guess what I just said. <laughs> I was like, wait. Um, uh. Anyways. <laughs> I was going to say this is a safety issue, but apparently Dale's for me it's hot and heavy. Apparently for me it's a uh, skill issue. It's a real scandalous, I- scandalous issue for Dave. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> I did, okay, continue. Draw, drawing back in, I don't totally disagree with it because um, mm-hmm. that is a major safety issue. <laughs> He's still. <laughs> I mean, you could have just said that the entire this time. This issue, this is erotic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, keep going. All right, I'll, I'll stop laughing. I'm going to mute my mic for. But uh, anywho, yeah, it's it's a safety thing. The scenario I drummed up in my head was what if somebody's right on somebody's tail and they tap them the wrong way? They're going to go into pit wall at full speed. Yeah. And that could be really bad. That's and happened he, in Indy yeah. before. We, Guys have hit that front of the pit wall. Yeah. yeah. It's not pretty. No. Nope. So. Yeah, that, that's, that, that was kind of going to my part of my point. of We've seen how easily these cars can be just have catastrophic damage after just the lightest push or whatever i mean we've seen that before with indycar so it's a smart move to cut off a move like this before drivers take it to an extreme uh, then rather than once it gets to that point even if they are professionals i mean like i've said we, we we've seen how you know how this has happened before so i uh i i like the move i think it, it's it's for safety reasons that's why i, I agree with it it's, it's like a, okay one of these days it's going to go wrong. If you're allowing these guys to keep doing this again and again and again and again, one time a block is going to go bad. And somebody, if they don't go careening into the pit wall, they will go like a bowling ball into an alley 
with the with the uh, sides up. It's not going to go into the gutter. The car is going to go spinning at like 180 or over 200 even. If you're flying off turn four, you're going for the win of an Indy 500 and the block goes bad and you go sliding. You could go into the pit, pit lane sliding sideways. That car could flip over. The car might careen into a pit box. We don't want a disaster. Mm-hmm. And obviously IndyCar does not want a disaster either. So I agree with it. I think it was a clever move by New Garden. I mean, just shake off your opponent in any way you can. You're trying to go for the win of the Indy 500. I don't blame them. Uh, but I, I think it's not exactly a lack of trust in the driver's skill set. I, I think it's just to protect the drivers and the teams and the fans and anybody in the pit lane mm-hmm. in case something... Because even the best, things go wrong sometimes. So Especially when it's a high-pressure situation, you're going for the win of an Indy 500. So I like it. We'll have one more topic on the show tonight. A little bit of a commercial conundrum between Formula One and IndyCar this past week. ESPN, who is the exclusive broadcaster of Formula One here in the States, uh, was running a new ad campaign as Formula One is back this weekend at Bahrain. Uh, Got in trouble this past week, though, for using the tagline, the greatest spectacle in racing, to describe Formula One. Uh, And the tagline... That specific tagline has been famously used for years by the Indianapolis Motor Speedway to describe the Indianapolis 500. And IndyCar kind of forced ESPN and F1's hand into changing the ad. ESPN apologized and said, hey, you know, we we did not... What? Hold on, let me get the exact quote. Uh, ESPN said, uh, we revised the ad and apologized for the unintentional error. So it was, again, advertising. It's a promotion for the 2024 season for Formula One. Was this blown out of proportion? Because there was a lot of people that were not happy on the IndyCar side. Uh, was this blown out of proportion? Or do you see any weight into this? If it's like a maybe ESPN saying, oh, we didn't mean it. Maybe it did. You know, I don't know, I'm just saying, do you guys see any weight into this battle of open-wheel presences in America? As these two, te- as these two racing organizations are jockeying for the open-wheel presence in America, even though Formula One's international. Uh, Sean, we'll start with you. If nothing else, it speaks to the rise of F1 the past few years to where it and ESPN can think that it can get away with something like this. Uh, I mean, from what I've seen with the ratings, it's gone to a point where IndyCar is lowered in at least TV ratings, and F1 has risen to a point where it's almost about equal, at least from what I've seen. But, uh, like I said, it, it, it speaks of the rise of it, and possibly even the fall of IndyCar as well. But, do I think it was completely unintentional? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Debatable. But at the, sa- at the same time, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, that what I'm, do you think? I'm, I'm with Sean. I don't think it was necessarily unintention- unintentional. That mm-hmm. could be debated as well, but the Indy 500 has been regarded as, what was it, the greatest spectacle? The greatest spectacle in racing. Yeah, for a long time. Yeah. There's no way they didn't know this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the F1's, the F1's headquarters are in London, but that doesn't make it any, you know... U.S. headquarters now in uh, Las yeah. Vegas, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but, but is... You know, is that phrase owned by IndyCar or Indianapolis? Do no, they own that? it's not trade. I don't think it's trademark, which is why I think Formula One was like, oh, you know. My opinion is, I think whoever was putting together the ad, obviously, there's they got motorsports nuts working on this, but I don't know how to what extent. But I think the phrase was just rattling around in somebody's head, and they just forgot that it's very strictly attributed to the Indy 500, and they're just like, oh, you know, we could use that. I don't think nobody's going to think anything. Nobody's going to go overboard with this. What, what could go wrong? One of those situations <laughs> where legally, legally we can, but should we? Sort of. It's deal. an ethics thing. Yeah, ethically, thing. can we? I'm not. You know, I'm not saying that. You know, Formula One was trying to. You know, I just uh, want to rattle his cage a little bit. Yeah. I don't. I don't think he was trying. I don't think they were trying to rattle IndyCar's cage a little bit. Just trying to, you know, say, hey. We're the greatest spectacle in racing. Mm-hmm. I don't think that was trying to happen. I don't. I don't think. I'm not looking too far into it. But if Formula One continues to just try and like, would, I mean, Formula One's trying to have a, day, a Grand Prix in Chicago. Hmm. I wonder why. Uh, yeah. That if Formula One starts to try and encroach more on IndyCar's turf, that's when 
IndyCar should kind of have a little bit more of a of a whoa. The warning sirens going off. Um, let's be a little more careful here, guys. Because I mean, right now Formula One is beating IndyCar in the ratings, not by a ton. It depends on the race and the time too. But uh, it, this is a this is a race, a race within series that race. Uh, to try and get ratings here in America for an open-wheel presence. And Formula One, I mean, it was announced this past week that uh, the ratings for Drive to Survive, which has been what blew Formula One up here in America the last couple of years on Netflix, uh, NASCAR did its own version of it, and that's already helping. I mean, it's cool that its biggest stars in that series are showing up this year, too, in the Cup side, but uh, the ratings are down. It was down like what thirty, thirty-five percent uh, in across like the Netflix. Yes, that's right. Netflix has ratings, but it's like it was uh, the viewership for it was was down in, in the newness effect. Went yeah, off. an average audience of just two point nine million viewers is coming from uh, Dave Nelson, who's involved. It's the Twitter account F One Broadcasting. So he mm-hmm. works in the sport. Average audience of just two point nine mu- million viewers have watched across the first three days of Drive mm-hmm. to Survive, which is a sharp year-on-year drop of over thirty percent on last year's equivalent figure. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying it's waning off, but I think people are getting a little tired of the Verstappening. Of yeah. Formula yeah. One, and uh, it's starting to wane a little bit. So I mean, Formula One's trying to be aggressive. I don't know, was this or was this not a shot across IndyCar's bow? We'll have to wait and see how the rest of the season kind of folds and mm-hmm. and and works itself out. But with that, with the outro playing, Dale Garrett, Sean Kelly. It's the end of tonight's show. Thank you guys for being on, as always. Always great to be on. Thanks for having me. I just want to say, I meant to say erratic, not whatever I said. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. That'll conclude tonight's show here on Speed Zone. So, uh, again, plenty of things to talk about this week, next week, too. Thanks for tuning in. Got a jam-packed weekend for you on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network, but we'll be back 7 to 8 p.m. next week. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to another sports presentation on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network.